Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio and um, Miss Linda, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. <laughs> okay, just sit tight for one second. Woo, girl, we was working out some issues, so sit tight one second, okay? Okay. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Blog Talk Radio's The Date with Destiny. I know that you guys heard that little bit right there. We were working on some technical difficulties, Woo! but we got it good. We got it together, and um, I'm excited today. It's March, Monday, March 18, 2019. I am your host and author of the book, Destiny Awaits, The Pouring Out of Wisdom for Humanity to Drink, Lisa M. Saunders. Coming to you from Owings Mills, Maryland, and this broadcast is being sponsored by Masterminds LLC, inspiring and empowering people to achieve a greater destiny. And we are super excited, especially now that we've got things up and running. <laughs> We're excited this evening about being with you and to be able to share love and wisdom with the desire to uplift, inspire, motivate and empower you to live a more peace-filled, joyful, and loving life. So to receive and download this podcast, simply go to the iTunes store, click on podcast, and type in a date with destiny. You can also receive it via my website, yourdestinyawaits.net, or simply by Googling, Googling us, Blog Talk Radio, A Date with Destiny. And you can also follow us on Twitter at least. 101. That's L-Y-S-E-101. If you would like to become a sponsor or to get more exposure for your literary work or business, you can send a message via my website, info at yourdestinyweights.net, or via my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash a date with destiny 101. So once again, we are excited to be able to share with our listeners information from people of all walks of life that we believe will inspire, motivate, and empower you. We are happy to be approaching our sixth year of broadcasting next month and can't wait to share some great things from some really extraordinary people that we have coming up for the rest of this season. So that alone right there deserves just a little bit of applause. We are very excited. Yes, thank you, thank you. And tonight we have another amazing show. Tonight's topic is mental health care and awareness. We are grateful to have sharing with us this evening Associate Professor Professor Dr. Linda Darrell. Associate Professor Linda Darrell grew up on Long Island, New York, She holds an undergraduate degree in social work from the State University of New York at Stony Brook, a master's degree in social work from Virginia Commonwealth University School of Social Work, and a Ph.D. in clinical social work from Smith 
College School of Social Work. Dr. Darrow completed a postgraduate fellowship at Smith College School of Social Work in end-of-life care. Dr. Darrow has extensive training experience of paraprofessionals in host settings, managing patient data for medical professionals working with a multiplicity of patients. Her most recent training endeavors include cultural competency training with the Baltimore City Police Department and as PI on a community participatory grant funded by Ascend entitled Mothers in Mourning. The grant is examining the experience of African-American women who have lost loved ones to homicide. CSW-C and certified by the state of Maryland to supervise newly graduated social workers towards licensure. This level of certification also involves the provision of supervision, training, and supportive counseling for seasoned clinicians seeking advancement in their professional careers. Dr. Darrell was a chief tenure and promotion to associate professor in the MSW department in the School of Social Work at Morgan State University. She has extensive clinical practice experience in medical social work, private practice, and host facilities. Woo! Amazing, amazing, amazing. So A Date with Destiny would like to welcome Dr. Linda Darrell to the show. Let's give her a round of applause, shall we? Please. Thank you very much. Hello, Dr. Darrell. Are you there? Yes, I am, Lisa. Thank you so much. I was listening to all of that saying, I don't know, is that me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, all of that was you. And you know, it's funny because when I was going over your bio, I'm like, okay, usually I don't read and, and and I didn't read all of it. There were still some things that but I'm like, well, I can't leave that out. No, I don't want to leave that out. I said, you know what? We're just going to put all this in there so everybody can know your um, experiences and the things that you have accomplished and achieved, which I find just truly amazing. So I just want to thank you right now for taking your time to share with us this evening. Oh, you are very welcome. You are more than welcome. And I, I just, I give all, I truly do give all glory to God because without him, I could not have done yes. any of those things. So that's where I am. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you ever since we met a month ago. And, you know, in the beginning, we had a little troubleshooting we had to do because I've never experienced anything like that. So I said, you know what, this is, this must be, uh, this is going to be one powerful conversation because anytime something like that happens and tries to stop it and block it, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, we're going to get this together. (laughs) So it started (laughs) off a little rough, but it's going to end on a very powerful and empowering um, note. So I just know that going forward. I mean, we have so much um, to cover that I wanted to cover with you because, again, like I said, when I met you, you know, we were talking, I was just like, this woman is really amazing. And um, sometimes we have to stop and take a step back and just um, recognize, uh, and, I wanna, and I'm going to say this word. I don't use this word loosely or lightly, but heroism. Because oh. the kind of work that you do, when I look at social workers, when I think of social work, you know, I really 
admire what you all do on a day-to-day basis. And it encompasses so much, and especially, you know, with um, uh, mental health, Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, something that I have truly embraced within this last couple of years, um, you know, trying to bring awareness to mental health and how important it is for us to, you know, sometimes just stop and say, you know what, I need help. Yeah. And you, you, this is what you do and this is what you've been doing for quite some time. So what I would like for you to do now, um, Dr. Daryl, is share with our listeners what, Let's go back to the beginning. What made you decide to do this, to pick this as your, um, you know, field of study? Well, originally when, you know, when you you ask people, particularly when you ask children, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, (laughs) For me, it was always a teacher. I wanted to teach. And I know that that influenced really originated with um, family members who themselves were teachers. I was blessed to really be, to grow up in a family where um, education was really valued very highly, and the expectation was you were going to go to college. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a time when uh, those of us who went through the civil rights movement and I was, a, I was in my teens, in my early teens, but it was very important to me that um, we had the opportunity to go to school to, to learn. I loved learning. I loved being in school. So for me, it was teaching originally. Mm-hmm. Um, my path kind of veered off a little. Uh, I had my daughter at a very young age, and... I had received a scholarship to Geneseo State University in upstate New York, uh, but my parents said, okay, you've got this responsibility now, and you are going to have to deal with it. So instead of not going to school, I went to school, but I decided I was going to go to school and learn to be a social worker. And... I I don't believe anything that we do ever happens by chance. Mm. I went to school. I went to Stony Brook, and I uh, graduated with my undergraduate degree. I won't say what year. I'm not aging, dating myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I went to school, finished my degree in my undergraduate degree in '74 and decided that I was going to do some work in the community. I was working mm-hmm. for a youth organization. Um, I was director of a community youth organization, loved what I was doing. My daughter was very young, but I always took her with me. I took her with me to classes. I took her with me when I went to work because I was able to do that. Um, and I grew to really love doing social work, helping mm-hmm. young people to find their paths in life, helping uh, people to really address some of the struggles and challenges that they were experiencing in life and being available, particularly for young women whose lives were impacted by um, decisions that they made or whether it was Mm. a wise decision or not, but uh, 
letting them know that their lives didn't have to stop there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to tell people all the time I worked that undergraduate degree so you could you could almost see through it because mm. I didn't go back to school to get my um, to get my master's degree until at least 10 or 15 years after I had completed my undergraduate degree. Okay. Um, I went back. I went to school. I went to VCU. Um, I, went in, I went in the evening. I took evening classes. I worked during the day, as many people do. And mm-hmm. you, you have to move forward. You raise your family. You work. You try and move yourself forward educationally, which is what I did. And when I finished my master's degree, um, I had an opportunity to come to Baltimore to work at Johns Hopkins um, in the medical in medical social work. Mm-hmm. I had spent 24 years at Johns Hopkins. Wow! And learned just so much, and experienced so many different things, and had so many different opportunities. Um, extended to me because of the type of work that I was doing. And I became very interested in working with people with chronic illness, uh, people who had end-stage illnesses, and decided that if this is the direction I was going to continue in, um, I felt like I wanted to go back and Mm -hmm. pursue another level of education primarily because the, the unction or the desire to teach began once again for me, um, and I knew I was going to have to acquire a Ph.D. in order to teach at a university, which is where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity to do an end-of-life care program at Smith, um, and again, things nothing happens per chance. I was right. on their campus that summer to uh, work on the end-of-life care certification. And it was just, it's a, an idyllic campus. It's a beautiful place to be. And I just said a very quick and very short prayer, Lord, if this is, um, if I have the opportunity to return here um, and, and do a Ph.D., this is where I'd want to be. Mm. That was in... Um, I think that was in 2002. A couple of years later, the opportunity presented itself, and I applied, and I returned to school. Um, And I identify myself now, uh, along with a colleague of mine, as an autumn diva because I pursued uh, a Ph.D. um, after the age of 55, Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, I'm doing what I absolutely love to do. I am teaching. Um, I have the opportunity to really be involved with students who are wanting to learn to be social workers, who have a desire to work in the urban environment, who are just anxious to be able to get out to do the work, but mm-hmm. helping them to understand that instead of allowing their their anxiety or their anxiousness to do the work drive them, that it's really, really necessary for them to, one, do their own work, two, uh, learn to do the work, 
and three, to do the work with compassion. Right. So. Right, which is very important. Mm-hmm. That's where, so that's kind of where I am now. Um, mm-hmm. I left working at the hospital. I'm, I am teaching full-time, mm-hmm. have been teaching full-time for a number of years, um, enjoy what I'm doing, and really can appreciate the years of experience that I've gained, the mm. different levels of experience that I've had, experiences that I've had. I've been able to work in the community. I've done private practice. I've done group work. I have done a lot of work with uh, grief and loss, and particularly with end-of-life care. Um, mm-hmm. So I really feel like I bring to the table um, not only mm. a plethora of, of responsibilities, but an extensive experience that I bring into the classroom to help students connect with not only what they're reading in the book, but what is actually happening in the field. Right. Right. Now, now with the, in the field of social work, because I know we kind of touched on this when we talked um, over a month ago or so, but in the field of social work, it covers so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it covers a lot because I remember asking the question, what's the difference between social work and psychology? Mm-hmm. I think I asked you that question, and I know the two do go hand in hand because you are psychoanalyzing people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or some folks will. I mean, there's clinical social work. You have, mm-hmm. well, let's look at it this way. You have micro okay. social work, which is more um, individual, uh, either one-on-one, um, working with individuals with either in the community, within uh, facilities within host settings like hospitals or detention facilities or prisons mm-hmm. or schools or communities. Um, you have macro social work, which really is looking at social work on a larger scale. So okay. within the school systems, um, you're, you're doing macro social work can be a community organizer, uh, mm. someone who is interested in doing um, politically based or motivated social work, uh, mm-hmm. people who are in legislation and who are writing policy and uh, heading up organizations, uh, and mesosocial work who, you know, are people who are working um, not only in the community but um, within school systems, within, um, within host settings, um, mm-hmm. like what I was like what I was doing for uh, for a very long time, so we really like to say one of the one of the um, statements that we make at Morgan State University is social workers are everywhere. Mm-hmm. We are everywhere. We do a lot of different things, and we have access to not only doing social work in mental health, but social mm-hmm. work in health and social work in um, child and maternal health, social work in gerontology, social work Mm -hmm. in um, rehabilitation, social work in substance abuse, 
social work in a lot of different areas. Mm. So we are, we do work very much like, well, I should say psychologists do work very much like what we do, but we are more involved in the community. We are involved with families. We Mm. are, and not to say that psychologists are not, but we are more practice um, focused. Um, Got you. So, yes, our practice is different. Our practice is very different. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend to someone who, because, you know, I I recognize that there are so many people that are in pain and that are hurting, um, but they keep it bottled up inside and they don't know exactly where to turn or who to turn to. So they don't turn to anybody. So Mm -hmm. for those people out there that are listening, that are like, okay, well, who do I talk to? Where do I go? Do I, you know, I go online. Do I look for a social worker? Do I look for a psychologist? You know, what do I do? Well, what would you say to somebody that's looking for help? I think someone who is looking for help, first of all, um, acknowledging that you need help is is the first mm. step. Um, okay. Knowing that something is awry, something is not quite right, and you're not functioning at the level that perhaps you could be functioning at because of whatever might be going on in your life. So mm-hmm. I think that when people start to question, well, where do I go, where do I turn, Um, In your community, there are often, um, certainly within hospitals, certainly within um, mental health settings, uh, you can look up the National Association of Social Workers, you can look Mm. up the National Association of Black Social Workers, you can look up psychologist organizations, and you can begin to kind of decide which direction you might want to go in. Mm-hmm. However, I would, also, I would also say a lot of people are not going to access help in that way. Okay. Um, I think people end up getting the help or going in direction of getting help when a crisis arises. Mm. Uh, so someone who is, you, you gave a description of someone who is in a lot of pain, who tends to um, turn that pain in because they don't want to talk about it or they're struggling with it. That's what we begin to see as depression. A lot of that Mm -hmm. inward pain, a lot of that turning that into yourself, shutting down, causes people to become depressed. And and depression will evidence itself, manifest itself in in a lot of different ways. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people have difficulty sleeping. And mm-hmm. they, they have insomnia, and they're not sleeping well. So they're not getting sleep. Their body is not getting rest. Their minds are not getting rested, and they're getting more, anxi- more anxious and fidgety, and they're, you know, just right. angry and, and short-tempered. And so someone might say to, you know, say that individual, you need to talk to somebody because something mm-hmm. is going on here. So mm-hmm. if it's somebody at work, um, you can access your employee assistance program. Mm. And for the most part, 
companies who have employee assistance programs can give you a list of persons and help you to make connection with um, caregivers or you know mm-hmm. professionals who can provide services to you. Um, mm. if it's either not sleeping or perhaps it's someone who's finding that they're sleeping more than they normally do. They can't mm-hmm. seem to get themselves motivated. They can't get out of bed. They don't want to get out of bed. Um, that causes other problems. And they start isolating from people and start pulling away. And so you have family members or friends who become very concerned and very worried, and they say to them, you may need to go see your doctor. I think something is going on. And that person may go see a physician, a medical doctor, who might refer them to uh, Mm -hmm. a counselor or a psychiatrist or psychologist, someone to help them to begin to address what may be happening with them. Um, Right. People who are not sleeping enough, people who are sleeping too much, people who are not eating, or people who are overeating, people Mm. who are um, just isolating, and people who are just all over the place because they don't want to be alone. But even when they're around a lot of people, they're still very lonely. So there are a lot of of ways in which um, mental health um, issues will begin to manifest themselves. Mm -hmm. No matter how it manifests, I think it's very, very important for people to understand the sooner they get the help that they need, the better they will begin to feel, and they will not feel so isolated, so angry, so mm-hmm. so disconnected from themselves and yes. disconnected from other people. Yes. Yes. That uh, You need to say that again because that is so key. Yeah. Um, I mean... It's mm-hmm. it's really difficult when you see people isolating, just not yeah. you know not in connection with other people whose yeah. lives have have changed. We see that a lot with um, certainly with with elders, mm-hmm. or as they as people age, they're no longer doing the same things that they used to do. Right. And they're also losing people around them. So they mm. they find people who are starting to kind of pull away and and not be as communicative or not be as social. And it's mm-hmm. really important to keep people alive while they're alive. Let them yeah. know that they're cared about and that, you know, you they're still connected to the to the live world, to the live yeah. world and you know, visiting people who are elderly, visiting people who are sick. You don't necessarily have to be elderly. Visiting people right. who are ill, um, visiting people who have had uh, trauma and and a lot of stress and, and drama in their lives. It is extremely important for us to understand that we need to be connected with other yes. people. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, I love that because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times I find that people think they're alone um, and that their problems are no one else has ever had the issues that they've had. You know what I mean? 
So mm-hmm. how can you understand what I'm going through? Um, and they just don't reach out. And another thing that I find, um, too, is that especially people of color, we yeah. tend to keep things in because that's the way we were raised. Yeah. You don't talk about what goes on in this household. You don't talk about, you know, that you have to keep these things and you get on your knees and you take it to the Lord. And, and so they mm-hmm. internalize everything, which to me, you know, as, as when we know better, we do better. And as yeah. you get older, you realize, well, wait a minute. Um, I, w- I wasn't, I was told that you shouldn't talk about your problems. You shouldn't, you know, you got to keep this and don't tell this person and don't tell that person. But that to me is just so, that's not right. You have to talk about it. We learn a lot of times from our families and from those closest to us, we learn how not to trust. Yeah. And that really kind of starts that that separation, that isolation. Uh, We're told as, as youngsters, what goes on in this house stays in this house. Yep. Um, that's a that's an old mantra. We we grew up hearing that. Yeah. But secrets will kill you. Yeah. Secrets will will put you in in an extremely stressful situation. Uh, secrets, domestic violence. Secrets around um, sexual uh, trauma. All of mm-hmm. these kinds of secrets will keep you so isolated and so internal that yeah. it will actually cause you to do self-harm or to oh, yeah. become so isolated from other people you don't trust you don't trust others and you don't trust yourself that's yeah. not a good healthy space to be in right. it is important to talk to other people it is important to uh, process some things that are going on in your life to keep you yeah. from being harm, you know, doing harm to yourself emotionally, physically, any other way. Um, in terms of taking it to the Lord, I am a spiritual person, and it right. is very important to me. Prayer is extremely important to me. But God right. tells us in His Word that we are not meant to be alone. Yes, ma'am. God wants us to be not only connected to others, he wants us most of all to be connected to him. He will order our footsteps. He will tell Mm -hmm. us and direct us which way to go, who to talk to, who not to talk to, who to share things with, who not to share things with. If we are connected with him in spirit, if we are connected with him through the word, God will guide us to where we need to be. He will also heal us of wounds and and pain, but we have to talk to him. Yes, absolutely. If we keep it inside, if we don't don't pray, if we don't connect Mm -hmm. with God, if we isolate ourselves spiritually, if we isolate Mm -hmm. ourselves emotionally, if we isolate Mm -hmm. ourselves physically and mentally, we are a mess. Yes. And we're not, we're not helping anyone. We're harming ourselves, and we're, our behavior may be harmful to others. Yes. Absolutely. So I, I think that if in our community, yes, a lot of people are told, 
you know, we're told you've got to pray about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to pray about it, but God also gives you direction to do yes. something about it. Absolutely. To take action. But if, yeah. we, if we don't, if we don't do anything, if we're not praying, if we're not talking, if we're not, you know, connecting, we're, we're like just on this little island drifting around by ourselves in our own heads, thinking all kinds of, of uh, thoughts, and, and we end up thinking those same thoughts over and over and over and yep. over again. Mm-hmm. And it's not healthy. Yeah. No, it's not. And that brings me to the word uh, when you said faith without works is dead. You can have exactly. all the faith in the world, but if you don't act on what you're hearing, it's not going to matter. <laughs> it makes exactly. no, you know, it's just not going to matter. So you're absolutely right. And another stigma that, because um, you've, you've cleared up so much, and another stigma, too, is that um, they think, people tend to think if I go and talk to somebody, then I'm crazy. You know, I'm not crazy. I'm not insane. I don't need to go. What do I need to talk to somebody for? You know, that's another stigma that, you know, uh, we grew up with hearing. Um, well, I tell you, Mm-hmm. You see what's going on in our society today. Yes, we ma'am. have so many people who are in such pain, mental mm-hmm. health pain, um, physical pain, but primarily mental health. And what, what yeah. are they doing? They're going out and taking the lives of other people. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah. you know, how unhealthy is that? Yeah. Not only unhealthy and they're taking the their own lives too. Exactly. Not only unhealthy yeah. for the individual, but unhealthy for those around them, whether they know yeah. them or not. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different That's outcome. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I hope you all out there that are listening in, I know this message is for somebody out there today. Um, You're not alone. You are not alone. There's so many resources out here uh, for you to turn to um, and that you need to just – go ahead. I'm sorry, Lisa, to cut you off. I just thought about – the Bible tells us that God has gifted us in mm-hmm. the body of Christ. There are multiple roles and responsibilities. You have teachers, you have preachers, you have apostles, you have deacons, you have deaconess, you have um, counselors, you have all of these different people are part of the body. Yes. And we wouldn't exist and have the skills, talents, and abilities that we had if God didn't already create that. Absolutely. We didn't create this ourselves. Right. So those of us who are doing not only this work, but those of us who are teaching, those of us who are in the community, those of us who are doctors and lawyers and, and nurses and all these different professions, we are doing the work of God in our communities. The yes. people who are in the communities need to understand that we're all here to help one another. They help, they help me, 
I help them. It's a it is a mutual process. Yes. I don't know everything. Just because someone has advanced, people have advanced degrees, doesn't mean that they know everything. They have a specialty specialty in the area in which they have that degree. So they're going to meet other people who have other areas of specialty, other areas of experiences, and we should all be open to learning from one another, helping one another, supporting one another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, that that is so key. Um, And, you know, I was looking over your... um, your bio, and I know that we talked about a program that you um, are working on. Now, did you create that program, the Mothers, what was it, uh, Mothers in Mourning? It's, it's called Mothers in Mourning. It's a project. It's, it's not a program. It's a grant that okay. um, myself and a community person, her name, her, um, oh, my gosh, Sharon McMahon, um, mm-hmm came together to write this. Sharon is a community person here in in Baltimore, and Mm -hmm. she, like many other um, African-American women in the urban environment, have lost loved ones to homicide. Mm -hmm. Um, Sharon has a program that she is responsible for that she developed, and it's called A Mother's Love Will Never Die. Um, okay. Sharon brought her um, her desire to see something happen in the community to help women and families who are in such pain, emotional mm. and psychic pain as a result of these horrific homicides. Yeah. Um, so she brought the idea and we worked together to develop this research project. The purpose of the research project is really to lay the foundation for developing a intervention for working with women and families um, who okay. have experienced homicide, particularly in the urban uh, community. So what we are doing is um, talking with women um, from the urban community who have had this experience in their life and mm-hmm. to hear their stories um, as they share their narrative about how this experience has impacted them and their families, we are hoping to uh, use this data to um, lay the foundation for the next step, which would be to develop a a mental health intervention uh, that could be utilized in the community uh, that would help people to begin to process um, this, these losses in their lives. Right. We have so many, people have, have had so many losses in their lives, and when we think about yes. grief and loss, we often uh, just put it in one box. It's about the death of a loved one, which is very significant. But mm-hmm. grief and loss, covers not only the death of a loved one, but the loss of um, your livelihood, the loss of your home, the loss of um, just things that have been very important to you. Um, And none of that, you you can't compare one loss is is greater than than the other. 
loss right. of a loved one is extremely traumatic and extremely significant. If you yeah. lose a loved one because they died from a health problem, um, that's there's one level of a uh, one type of grief or a way that a person grieves. Then, if you lose a loved one because someone took that individual's life, that's absolutely yeah. traumatic. Yeah. If you lose a loved one and it's an expected or an anticipated death, it's still traumatic, but you've kind of begun to wrap your mind around this. But right. to lose someone through a homicide, to lose someone um, in, in such a tragic way, uh, tra- tragic accident, these are things that people oftentimes are not processing. Mm-hmm. They go through the, the motions, they go through the process of dealing with the event. Mm-hmm. But then after everything is said and done, you're still experiencing those feelings, that trauma, yeah. and that pain. And if you experience another loss behind that, or another one after that, you find people shutting down. Right. Getting very, either very angry or um, very isolated, very depressed. These are these are concerns in our community, concerns that really do need to be addressed. And particularly yes. not only for, for moms and for dads, but for the young kids in the community. Right. Who are growing up seeing this around them all the time. It is unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. And it's happening a lot, isn't it? Not just even from yes. people like gangs or whatever, but even from our law enforcement. You know, yeah. um, I just, oh, it's just a lot. It's a lot to take in. And it's and it doesn't even have to be our family, just us seeing it ourselves. You know what I mean? Just seeing exactly. that over exactly. and over again. So how does, okay, so for the, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I was going to say for the people who are listening who may be experiencing this, you know, that have had lost someone to uh, um, homicide, where can they, can they just look online um, for this program? How do they get in touch or, you know, become involved with this? Okay. Well, um, as I, as I stated earlier, it, this is not a program at this point. This is a research project. And our research um, our our research will end, um, the project will end in June. We are at the point of collecting data. We are okay, doing okay. focus groups um, gotcha. and sitting with women and listening to women and hearing their stories. Um, okay. So the next, step, the next step for us would be to work at developing a, an intervention. Now, for okay. someone who needs help now, um, there is an agency in Baltimore City. It's one of the only grief and loss centers um, for persons of color in the urban community, and that's Roberta's House. And that oh, okay. um, that facility is run by um, Annette March Greer, who is the um, CEO of Roberta's House. And okay. Roberta's House actually is providing services. They are a um, grief and loss center, 
They are mm-hmm. able to provide services for the community, um, and on they provide services for young children. They provide services for the family across uh, across the board. They okay. have a homicide support group um, that they are funded uh, to to do. We are looking. Eventually, I would love to be able to have um, a, a functional program in Baltimore City that does address these concerns because Roberta's House is a wonderful place to go, and they are, they are really concerned about the community, but they're only one place. Yeah, yeah. There are other, um, other counseling centers or, counsel, you know, counselors in and around Baltimore um, mm-hmm. for, persons, uh, for persons of color. I have a colleague, um, Pat Thompson, who has an agency called Generations Family Services. Um, mm-hmm. They're located near the Mondaman Mall area, um, mm-hmm. and she is providing she is providing counseling services for persons um, in and around that area, persons who have had loss issues and trauma. Um, there is another um, center, another agency. Um, the Stone Foundation, uh, which is run by a young woman by the name of Samara Stone. Um, she has an agency in Towson, Maryland, and she, okay. has, uh, she has a, a large staff. They provide um, um, multiple levels of service, not only grief and loss services, but family counseling, um, school counseling, and a lot of different other supportive services. Um, okay. These agencies, the two agencies that I named, or three actually, uh, Roberta's House, um, the Stone Foundation, and Family uh, Generation Family Services, are all run by African American females. Awesome. Awesome. Those services are out there. Um, so when, you know, when our community says, well, I, you know, I, I'm really not comfortable with um, just talking to, you know, someone who doesn't look like me, look like me, understand mm-hmm. me yeah. I think it's important for them to know that those services are out there and are available um, and provided by persons who do look like them and who yeah. have some of the same cultural experiences and can, yeah. they may be able to relate to. Oh, my God, that is so important and key. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I was talking to someone the other day just about that very thing. You know, it's important to have somebody that's sitting across from you that does look mm-hmm. like you because they, you know, mm-hmm. you, you do share the same cultural um, cultural experiences. You know, mm-hmm. across the board, and so I really appreciate those um, references, and we're going to repeat them again for those who may, you know, are listening in. Mothers in Mourning, Generation mm-hmm. Family Services, mm-hmm. and Roberta's House, um, it's, right? Yeah, Roberta's House, uh, Roberta's House, Generation Family Services, the Stone Foundation, the Stone Foundation. There you go. Thank right. you. Right. Um, because Thank Mother's you, yes. in Morning is a research project. It's not right, a and that's program the grant. at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, just um, shifting just a little bit, um, I want you to also talk about your research project, um, Autumn Divas. Um, explain uh, that and what, you know, what that entails. 
So a colleague of mine, Dr. Dana Wilson, and I um, had similar experiences around uh, returning to school to uh, obtain a Ph.D. after the age of 50. She mm-hmm. and I were just kind of sitting and having a conversation one day, and, you know, we were really beginning to realize that this was not a common occurrence. Okay. Um, that what we did, um, although it is not um, a common occurrence, it does occur. And mm-hmm. we talked about how would we find out about women who have had that experience and who are doing the work um, to receive an advanced degree. So we decided we were going to run a few focus groups and do some research around this, only mm-hmm. to find out that the women that we, um, we, put, a, we put some flyers out, we notified um, sisters of ours who, you know, we knew who were going to, you know, to school and, um, and doing other things, and people just were just anxious to talk about this. Well, when mm-hmm. it came together, the women who formed the focus groups were so excited to have the opportunity to share their experiences, we were just overwhelmed and mm. talked about what does this look like. Um, and you see these women, we, you see these women who are more mature, who um, have done a lot in their lives, and for some have decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to school because this is something I've always wanted to do and I put on the back burner. This is something that I've thought about doing, but I never thought I could do it. This is something that I um, want to try my hand at because I think I have something to share with other people. Um, I want to be able to give back. So these were some of the some of the reasons why people decided they wanted to go back to school and were going back to school at an age when many folks were thinking about retiring mm-hmm. and, and doing something else, you know, in, in their lives. But um, so we identified ourselves as autumn divas, mm-hmm. not winter women, because we were I love that, not though. that. <laughs> We're yeah, not that, yeah, yeah. You know, that advanced in age. We're not spring chickens, you know, because right. um, we're not, you know, that young. But we are certainly at a stage and an age in our lives when we feel like we have not only experienced some and had some very rich and vital experiences, we want to be able to reach back right. and share that with other women. Um, particularly women of color, yes. that this is truly not something that um, a lot of women in our age group, you know, um, have done and are doing. Right, right, so, mm-hmm. right. Well, you know what, I have, if, um, if you don't mind, I have a caller actually mm-hmm. on the line. Mm-hmm. And she's listening in. Um, and I I would, now that you've said Autumn Diva, I so love that. That is just, you know, I love that <laughs> title. Um, I would put her in that category as well because I know right now she's in school. She had to go back, you know, working on her doctorate in mm-hmm. social work. So oh, I wanted, 
yeah, I wanted to bring her on just to say hello to you, and maybe she might have a question or something to ask you if you don't mind. Oh, that's so. Fun. I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to bring this caller in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Hello, caller. I believe this is Terry Boyer. Terry Hi. Boyer, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, we I can, can hear, hear you. Can you hear Doctor? Mm-hmm. Der- okay. So, Terry, um, you've been listening on on the conversation, and um, I just felt like this was something, you know, right up your alley, as you know, um, and what Dr. Darrell was saying about Autumn Divas, and and right now you're actually in school and studying and, you know, uh, just the whole experience of what you're going through right now. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So is there? Um, go ahead. So I don't know. I, I love that term, autumn diva, because that is exactly yeah. where I fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I am doing uh, online school for my PhD mm-hmm. um, in marriage and family therapy. Actually, my doctorate's in MFT. Okay. Um, my master's is in MFT, and I'm getting ready to sit and take my national exam for it. Uh, I'm finding, because my field isn't so different, we just practice from a different systemic way. Yes. Because that's what I find. We just practice from a different systemic way. But how do you feel about MFTs working basically in the same fields you're working in? Because we work with a lot of families mm-hmm. and I'm even finding that they need our expertise in the MFT in the school system more and in that traumatic area where we have a lot of expertise. But I often find that, uh, especially in the city, they they shy away from the MFT. I don't know if it's because they don't know. Mhm. And even when you try to educate them, no, a social worker needs to do that. I'm like, oh, we're in the same field. We're just an extension of, and we just practice from a different systemic way. Mhm. How do you think I can get around that? Because well, I do exactly what you say is our specialty. You walked away from the phone. We can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me? Now I can. Go ahead. You just kind of drifted off, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was just wondering, how do you see, because I'm in Howard County with a private practice, African-American owned, African-American male owned private practice. Okay. Um, And I like the city. That don't get me wrong. I, in the other counties, it's a definite need because school systems out there now really want more African Americans in the system. I mm-hmm. like Baltimore City. I prefer, not that I prefer, I just prefer working with people that look like me even mm-hmm. more so. Mm-hmm. But when I go to look for different forms of employment, other than the fact I want to do it on my own anyway, I'm finding that even with jobs with the state, it's always listed very clearly. Social work, and even when you go to apply, they'll say, well, you don't have the degree. I'm like, uh, but for what you need, 
it's MFT. So how do you think we could get the change so that they can see that we're just as valuable as a social worker? Well, I think, first of all, um, one of the struggles that um, we have in our profession, because we are, um, we are licensed differently, okay? So, and, and that's, that's one piece of it. We are required um, to sit for licensure. I know I just heard you say that you were getting ready to sit for your licensure in, as a uh, marriage and family practitioner. Um, there are certain requirements, certain um, uh, criteria that we have to meet as social workers. And for us, it's as we can be so we can be licensed as uh, um, licensed masters, licensed master social work, or licensed clinical social work certified, uh, which is the LCSWC, um, or the licensed graduate uh, social work, which is now an LMSW, licensed masters of social work. It. Licensure is one piece of it, and that has been a struggle for out for us in our profession, a struggle in that um, there are other professionals like yourself, um, pastoral counselors and others who have said, you know, well, we have the same, we do the same thing. We may practice differently, um, but we do the same thing. And I would I would say your specialty is marriage family, marriage and family, where a lot of social workers are, they learn to be generalist social workers in the beginning. You have to have a good foundation, not only in human behavior and uh, human development and behavior, but in um, the economic, I'm sorry, ecological impact um, on social work, there are a lot of different things that we know. Then we go into specialization. So school systems and, and host settings uh, are looking for that type of not only generalist experience, but then the uh, specialty experience. I think one of the ways in which you, we could learn to work together is to work together. Um, if you are able to join in with a um, social work practice and work with a social worker, um, I think that that is one way to begin to not only develop a relationship, but to begin to really understand what the differences are and how we, how we do work differently we work we work in similar ways but we do still work differently mm-hmm. um, so I think we don't you know we don't have to be working at opposite ends and I think that's what happens a lot we we get siloed so your marriage and family your marriage and family practitioner I'm a um, end-of-life care specialist or grief and loss specialist, um, that 
fits well together in one practice. Oh, agree. I agree with you. I totally agree. Um, the owner just happens to be a LC MFT. Uh-huh. He can be a supervisor. And so he has all the highest of things also. But we also have a LC SWC. Uh-huh. So, like you said, the practice we have, and we have a LPC, and we have yes. a LCPC and an addiction. Right. <laughs> so the practice, like right. I said, it has a plethora of everything. It's it's similar mm-hmm. to the Stone Foundation because I've looked into them also. Yeah. And I love those practices that have all of the commonalities, but yet the differences yes. that can work together. Mm-hmm. But I just noticed sometimes it seems that within the city, there's this struggle. Like, hmm, why? so unnecessary yeah. when we we're all trying to help assist mm-hmm. uh, improve all of the words that go along with assisting and helping and approving and affirming but mm-hmm. yet the system sometimes look like it's designed and they just because like you say and unfortunately the people sometimes that are interviewing you they don't have a clue because right. they're not even in that field They're just human resources. And it says this, 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 and this. And, yeah, your your resume actually says this, this. Oh, but it doesn't say that you are in social work. Right, because they are looking for a specific type of license, a specific level of licensure. And, you know, we've we've worked, you know, just as as, uh, people in your your specialty – People in addictions, people in um, trauma work have worked hard at their specialty area. The social workers, we have worked a long time, and uh, for a long time we worked under a medical model that required us to be licensed in order to even be heard. Oh, right. We really, right. you know, we, we really hold tightly to that licensure level and, and the need for that, that license, which, which affirms or validates or certifies your ability to do um, this type of work. And believe me, I'm not, I, I don't disagree. I think that people who have an MFP, people who are LCPCs, people who are addiction specialists, we are all needed to do the work. But because of billing, because of insurance, because of a certain level of, um, of evaluation, the license is what oh, a sorry. lot of city I, agencies are I'm sorry. Oh, I totally agree. Those weren't even the jobs I was applying for. I, I was applying mm-hmm. for the level, for just at a graduate level until I got my licensure. Because right. okay. like you're saying, yeah. Because even once mm-hmm. I get my licensure, I see that the state doesn't even acknowledge, they're just starting to acknowledge professional counselors. Yes. And that's yes. good. That's good. Yes. So I give them another 10 years, mm-hmm. they might be on MFTs by then. But exactly. <laughs> Because the state's just that slow. I mean, state employees will mm-hmm. tell you that. But mm-hmm. 
the school system, I think they're getting a little more open. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm finding that their different agencies are getting a little more open because, uh, yes, it, it's all about the licensure because it mm-hmm. is about billing. I, I can't do any billing until I have mm-hmm. a license. Um, I'm exactly. able to, I was able to do the uh, uh, intake, and then I stopped. And then I did the uh, graduate level work that I could do. Um, mm-hmm. And even in the interning process, I learned a lot from both because my first mm-hmm. intern was done under a social worker supervisor. Mm-hmm. And now I'm under the guise of an MFT postgraduate mm-hmm. hours. So mm-hmm. I definitely understand the licensure part because I've been in this type of field for almost 20 years. Wow. Because I got an undergrad degree. Then I went and became a PRP specialist. Mm-hmm. And that's been so long ago. That was Liberty Medical Center. So oh I've been gosh. doing this a minute. <laughs> I've been doing this a minute. Yeah. So, so I've you're... seen though, I've seen how it has enveloped out. I remember when people didn't even know what an MFT was when I made right. that decision. Like, what mm-hmm. is that? But mm-hmm. we do the individual work, and we do a lot of work with trauma, and we do a lot of work with grief and how mm-hmm. it affects the family because we work from the whole family system. Right. Right. So, and I, again, and I sat all, at the foot of the social worker mm-hmm. and seen mm-hmm. it work on the individual. Yeah. So but I've we seen do, it from both ends. Yeah. We do, it, we do it from the individual level, but we also do it from the family and group level as, as well. But I think right. the, the thing that I would be interested in knowing from you, what is, what is it that is driving you to get a Ph.D. now? Well, part of me was when I opened my own practice, it's mm-hmm. marketable, mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to teach on a college level, mm-hmm. and I found mm-hmm. that with the PhD, you get more opportunity, even exactly. at the community college level. That was exactly. one of the things I always wanted to see. Since I came from an HBCU, I would love to see an MFT program right next door to the social work program at mm-hmm. a Morgan State or a Coppin mm-hmm. State or a Bowie. And mm-hmm. um, I've done both colleges from brick and mortar, mm-hmm. uh, predominantly white institutions. And I, the one I attended first went bankrupt. Mm. It didn't make the news, but it shut its doors. And I came back and finished at the HBCU. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Morgan State, and that's where you are, Dr. Darrell, isn't it? Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah, Dr. Darrell is at Morgan State right now. Well, that's Mm -hmm. where I graduated from in the late 80s. And then I had a family. Mm-hmm. And I did not go back for my graduate until three years. No, I went back five years ago and finished three years ago. But I went and did uh, online through Liberty mm-hmm. University. And then mm-hmm. this Ph.D. program is through NCU, North Central University. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I think for me, it's more about, like I said, I want to teach. I want to empower. I would love to see an MFT program at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh-huh. I have a daughter at Morgan State right now, so. Okay. And mind you, she's in the school of business. But <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's going to help you open up your business. <laughs> yeah. You got that right, but she just informed me that she might be going to law school, which is even better. So I'm okay that's with true. all of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry. Exactly. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining us um, today, and um, I hope that, you know, you were able to just kind of get out a little bit, and and then Dr. Darrell was able to kind of, you know, give you some insight as well. It was awesome. It was a wonderful show, and Dr. Darrell, I'm glad that. What exactly do you teach over at Morgan? I teach in the School of Social Work. I teach in the master's uh, degree program, and I teach most of the uh, practice courses. I teach psychopathology and clinical intervention, human behavior in the social environment, generalist social work methods and practice, uh, black families and uh, the clinical uh, clinical work with black families, and um, neighborhoods, organizations, and communities. Awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. That is this is an wonderful. awesome woman right here. Yeah, she, she's pretty amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. So, Terry, I'm going to put you back on hold. You can still listen in because okay. we're getting ready to wrap it up. And I thank okay. you for calling in and listening. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, Dr. Mm-hmm. Darrell, um, thank you because, you know, time this goes by so fast. You know, yes, so I'm going to have to have you, yeah, I'm going to have to have you come back because there's just so much ground to cover. But I love the, the resources that you gave out. Um, the conversation was amazing. And just let me ask you this. So the, for the people who are listening in, and if someone just wanted to reach out to you, you know, they had maybe another question or whatever, how mm-hmm. would they be able to do that? So they can contact me at Morgan. My office number is 443-885-4129. And my email is linda.darrell, D-A-R-R-E-L-L, at morgan.edu. Okay, so I'm going to repeat that. Her email is linda.darrell, D-A-R-R-E-L-L, at morgan.edu. And she can mm-hmm. also be reached by phone, 443-885-41. Is that 29 or 24? 29. Two, I can't even read my own writing. Okay, 29. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because you, you know, you have so much to share and to give, and you give back um, so beautifully. And listening to your story and how it all began, which is really like, you know, when I wrote my well, my first book, I'm working on my next one, but in the beginning of the book, I, all, I talk about, um, our you know, our childhood, and how mm-hmm. everything, of course, stops, you know, stems from that. 
But then when we look back on our childhood and where we are today, we can see the the common denominator of, okay, what did I want to be when I grow up? And then you start down that path and then you look at yourself and say, wow, you know, yeah, I did say I wanted to do that. And now I'm here and I'm doing this. And, you know, it just continues to go on and on. Mm -hmm. But what you Mm -hmm. do for the community and what you have done is just, I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you, and I thank I, I really do thank you for this opportunity, uh, Lisa. And I, like I said earlier, I thank God for giving me the yes. opportunity and giving me the um, the knowledge and the stamina to do all that that I do because I certainly couldn't do it by myself. Yes, Amen. I know that's right, girl. Me either. <laughs> you know, through God, yes. all things are possible. So I really appreciate yes. you. Thank you so much for um, joining us. And we we will have to revisit this. And hopefully, the next time we'll get it right the first time around when when you call in. <laughs> but no again, worries. thank you. And and if you if you want to sit tight, you know, um, and listen in to the very last part, that's you know totally up to you. Um, and mm-hmm. if not, then I will be back in touch to to hopefully schedule another time that you can come on and share. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, okay. thank you as well. <laughs> bye so bye. we're down to that part of the show where um, I want to leave you with this: No man is an island, and I will repeat: No man is an island. And what that statement means to me is that we cannot function in this world alone. We cannot get around being amongst other people, no matter how much we might try or want to be alone. Somehow, some way, we must interact with others. I also believe that our problems are not exclusive to just us. Even though they may seem like no one else has ever experienced what you are experiencing at this moment in your journey, you feel like you are the only one who has ever gone through what you're going through. And I'm here to tell you that that fear that you are feeling and experiencing, while it feels real and it feels all-consuming and it takes your breath away, you still are not alone. You are not the only one that has ever felt this way. There are hundreds of thousands that have stood and are standing where you are. You see, we are all humans being. We have, we all have that commonality. We share that same DNA. So therefore, we all go through the emotions that come along with being human. One thing that you may or may not know, however, is that the truth of our existence is we are spiritual beings living a human experience. We may not recognize that fact or may have forgotten that part of ourselves due to this thing we call life. Life has a way of beating us down to the point of not wanting to exist anymore. We get tired of getting back up and putting one foot in front of the other. Our self-esteem cannot take another blow as devastating as the last one. We have embraced the pain and allowed, allowed it to envelope us like a blanket. It becomes the familiar, and we have acquainted ourselves with it like an old friend. Sometimes we walk around with it, not even realizing that it really doesn't belong there. It is not our friend. 
It disguises itself and wraps itself around us like old vines on a trellis, and it squeezes and squeezes until it sucks the very life out of us, and it will if we let it. How many of us are walking around not faking being sick, but are actually faking being well? I recently lost someone a few short months ago that just couldn't fake it any longer. They didn't reach out for help. They felt alone and defeated. The pain of that reality will linger with me for many years to come. So in closing, I will say to those of us that are still here who may be suffering and feel like they are alone, you are not. You are not alone. I can't say that enough. There are so many resources out here that you can turn to that would love to assist you on this part of your journey. There are people in your life that truly care about you and don't want to see you suffer by yourself. Reach out to them. Allow them to take you by the hand and guide you to the proper resources so that you may receive the help that you need. To have someone understand your mind is a different type of intimacy. You are beautiful because you let yourself feel, and that is a brave thing indeed. I am reminded as I wrote these words of the lyrics of the song, Rise Up, in which I will play in a few short minutes at the end of this segment. And the lyrics go like this. You're broken down and tired of living life on a merry-go-round, and you can't find the fighter but I see it in you, so we're going to walk it out. And we'll move mountains. We will move mountains. We will rise up. We'll rise like the day. We'll rise up. We'll rise unafraid. And we'll do it a thousand times again. So, my friend, you are not alone. You are not alone. So that concludes our show for this evening. I want to thank everyone for tuning in with us and a shout out to my family who are always loving and supporting me and also to my friends and colleagues in all of my social networking sites. Once again, a big thank you to Dr. Linda Darrell for taking the time to share a big part of her journey and your wisdom and her wisdom with us. We eternally, eternally grateful for you. And also, don't forget to stop by my website, yourdestinyawaits.net, to get some extra motivation and inspiration and leave us a message to let us know you stopped by. Also, like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash a date with destiny 101 and follow us on Twitter, least 101. That's L-Y-S-E 101. So make sure you come back and tune in next Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Always remember, folks, that real power comes from knowledge because knowledge is power. And when we know better, we do better. So your mission, if you choose to accept it, is take the necessary time to do a true self-evaluation Seek God and learn how to love yourself first, because after all, you owe it to yourself to know yourself. Once again, I'm Lisa M. Saunders, and thank you for tuning in to Blog Talk Radio's A Date with Destiny. Peace and abundant blessings, everyone.
You're broken down and tired Of living life on the merry-go-round And you can't find a fighter But I see it in you So we can walk it out Ooh, mountains We can walk it out and move Thousand times again 